Ladies and gentlemen, one, two, three, four. Want to be better, richer, happier? Of course you do. Welcome to the Be Less Crap podcast. Let's go. A podcast devoted to helping you become a less mediocre human. With your host, very much a work in progress herself, Charlotte Sherston. Hello and welcome. My name is Charlotte and this is the Be Less Crap podcast. Um, today's guest that we've got, uh, Jordana Levin, is one of those people who on paper makes you feel rather green with envy, to be honest with you. Um, she's written a couple of books that have done really well. She's the host of not one, not two, but three podcasts. Um, she's got really good hair and um, she's living <laughs> a rather charmed life up in Byron Bay, presumably bumping into Chris Hemsworth and Zac Efron every five minutes. Uh, Jordana, welcome. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you. When you say bumping into, do you mean stalking? Yeah, I mean, who would you go for, Chris or Zach? Who would be the, your, your pick? Well, Zach's not here anymore, um, but I'd, I'd definitely be a Chris gal yeah, if I had to pick. Yeah. A little bit more manly. Yeah, um, very manly. So the reason I was really keen to get Jordana on the show today is that her speciality, especially in terms of books, um, she's written a couple of them, one called Make It Happen, and her most recent release is called Higher Love, is about manifesting the life that you want. Um, it's a subject that's always fascinated me because on one side, I can think of nothing nicer than being able to draw in all the things that we want financially, love-wise, uh, you know, the type of life that we want to have. So I love the idea of it. Mm. But on the other side, I guess it sort of makes me feel concerned that if our life's shit, that it's our fault. And, um, <laughs> you know, every few years manifesting seems to sort of burst back out of the, mm. uh, of the shadows and, you know, it polarizes people. So I guess what yeah. I wanted to ask was, um, can you really sort of explain to me a little bit about what you, do be you believe is possible and how we can use the practice of manifesting to make our lives better? Yeah. Look, I think uh, manifestation has been misconstrued over the years and you're right. It does like pop back into the zeitgeist at different moments. I feel like every time that it pops in, it's usually wearing some sort of spiritual cloak, which automatically ostracizes a whole bunch of people that aren't really interested in woo-woo stuff. I believe that manifestation really is about taking ownership of your future. And it's really as simple as that. It's about deciding what it is that you want, getting super clear on that, and then aligning your life with it. So the way that I work manifestation is through a really simple equation called the manifestation equation. And it's thoughts plus feelings plus actions plus faith. So that's aligning your thoughts with what it is you want to create, feeling what it feels like to have that thing that you want in your life. Um, taking the necessary action steps to get there, which is a big part of the manifestation puzzle that a lot of other manifestation teachings have left out, like the bit that you play, actually doing some stuff to get there. And then the faith piece is a trust piece. It's trust in yourself and then trust in something greater than you, whether that's, you know, the universe or God or whatever you want to call it, but trust that you're working alongside an energy that has a greater power than you. Because if we think that it's only up to us, there's no room for surrender. So that's that's manifestation in a nutshell. So it's like, a, I mean, it's, when you describe it like that, it's terrific because it it's like a holistic to-do list. It's yeah. but, and, and the amount of people I know that, some of it seems so obvious and I'm talking to them, I've got teenage kids at the moment and, you know, they're thinking about what they want to do in their future or what kind of, and I said, I would think less about, 
what necessarily you want to do and more what kind of life you want. So for some people, security is really important and therefore you might not, you know, run away to the circus, for instance. Um, (laughs) And my son really likes money and therefore there are certain, you know, lines of work that might be more profitable for him. So what I think is interesting is how many people don't actually think about what they really want their life to look like. We just kind of bumble along. Is that sort of your experience? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the biggest questions I get asked about manifestation is where do I start? And really you need to start with the clarity piece. And that's hard for people. People don't know what they want their future to look like. They don't really know what they're working towards. And I think until you do know what you're working towards, and that doesn't have to be a tangible physical thing, it can be a feeling or an experience then you, you have nothing, you have nowhere to direct your energy. And a big part of manifestation is a direction of energy and our thoughts and our feelings will create a vibrational frequency around us. So yeah, getting super clear on, on how you want to feel in the future and what that might look like for you really is the first step. So if people are feeling a little bit confused, it's just about simplifying, simplifying, simplifying. Yeah, I think that's really well described. I think also people can get overwhelmed, as you say, because sometimes you don't know. I love there's a bit in the book we're talking about values and almost every guest I've spoken to talks about how important it is to getting clarity around our values. Yeah. And I think you were you were super honest as you are throughout the book, throw yourself under the bus the whole time <laughs> and saying that you didn't know what your values were. And so it sounds like, oh, you know, we should all know this, but not necessarily. How can people start to explore those? Are there some tests online they can take or, you know, where, where could people start with really kind of drilling into the values? Yeah, well, I think I said in the book that when I first tried to work out my values, I Googled like what are good values to have. Oh, other people's <laughs> values, yeah. Please, please don't do that because <laughs> that's aligning yourself with other people's values. There are a few exercises in um, Higher Love that, that um, ask you to connect with your values, but it's having a look at what's important to you and what you want to prioritise in your life because especially when it comes to relationships, which is what Higher Love's about, that's the kind of compatibility you're looking for is someone who will who will align with your values and your personal core values are the things that you can use as a barometer to decide whether a situation whether it be a work situation or a relationship situation is in alignment with you because if you are constantly compromising on what is at your core what you value at your core, then it's probably not the right fit. And that works true for manifestations as well. We want to work towards things that are in alignment with us. But first, we have to know what that is. And your personal core values are really at the heart of it. And I think that's when life feels easy, doesn't it? You know, when you feel hurried and stressed and everything, you're sort of almost just behind the eight ball on everything is is, is that kind of feeling where you're out of alignment. Um, In the book, Hi, I Love, you, you talk about I mean, the first chunk of the book is dedicated really to, you call it your personal vibration, is that correct? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it sounds a little woo-woo, but it's basically about getting, <laughs> yeah. um, getting yourself straight and together because there's no way you can be in a fully functioning relationship if you aren't self-aware. Would that be correct? Yeah, and it's not about being in perfect alignment at all times. It's just about sort of knowing who you are as your most authentic self so you can be aware of what's strengthening that authenticity and what's pulling you out of it. And I think when it comes to relationships, we've all been in relationships 
where our sense of self is being compromised in order to make the relationship work. And that's not just romantic relationships either. That's, you know, business partnerships and friendships. So I think if we can, again, find that clarity on who we are in a strong vibration, when we're feeling our most authentic true aligned selves, then we can once again be using that as a barometer to decide what's pulling us further away from it and what's actually strengthening it. Yeah, one of the things you talk about, which I'm definitely guilty of, I know a lot of friends tend to do this, is how people tend to morph and change who they are depending on who they're in a relationship with. So if they're with someone super healthy, they suddenly, you know, suddenly get into that whole vibe or suddenly there's someone who likes to stay up late and party and they pretend they're that sort of person. (laughs) Why do you think we do that? And why is it such um, an error really for us if we're trying to, you know, find true love? Yeah, I think, I think it does come back to knowing who you are. And if you're not really sure, if you don't have a strong level of self-awareness, it's an experimentation of sorts. You know, we see it when we're teenagers and in our early 20s, um, sort of trying things out. Is this me? Is this not me? But when we start to keep, when we keep carrying that on throughout our, you know, late 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, you know, however long, and we can't actually decide who we are as a whole person on our own, then what happens is we form a dependency on the person who's shaping us. So if anything was to go wrong or if that person you're in the relationship with had needed a certain level of independence, you're sort of like flapping about on your own, not really knowing how to hold yourself. And I really do think the strongest relationships are with people who have a whole sense of who they are as a whole person and then the other person has the same thing so that they're actually complementing each other and not, as I put it in the book, filling a bunch of holes. Yeah, I was going to say, you say, you yeah. know, you've got to make yourself whole instead of waiting for someone else to sort of fill in those holes, which I think is, it's true. I mean, one of the things that I feel is you often see it in really strong relationships. They don't tend to get jealous of each other because they're confident enough in themselves um, and yes. I, I kind of think the same. I'm like, if my husband's going to cheat, he's going to cheat regardless. Um, and that's not something, it's not to do with me, it's to do with him. So if you can feel, and the more needy and desperate you get, the more likely you are to send them running off into that thing. So I agree, Absolutely. building your own strength of character is key. Um, yeah. The other thing that you talk about is, you know, the, the little traps that people fall into is the comparison trap. And mm. I, I know in the book, you know, if, you know, we've all got, I've, I've got a lot of single friends and they've got, someone's just about to have their second baby and someone's just got engaged and someone on Instagram's got this amazing hashtag couple goals. <laughs> How do we not get sucked into the comparison trap? Oh my God, it's so hard. And I constantly am getting sucked back in. It's about having a bit of perspective. I mean, we all know that social media is a highlights reel. We know that, yet we still pull ourselves into this game of comparison. So I think it's, again, about having a really good level of self-awareness, knowing that there's a polarity to everything. So if you're seeing the light, bright, happy side of someone's life, there's shadow there somewhere. And it's not to wish ill, you know, ill will upon somebody, but just just being realistic about what, what you are witnessing and knowing that you're not seeing the shit. But I think with comparison, again, it's that self-worth, piece so if we're constantly comparing ourselves it's because we feel like we're lacking something so it's it's seeing the lack and thinking okay well how can I fill up and if that means going off social media for a little while 
um, you know, deleting Instagram or whatever it might be, then do that for your own good because then you can come back as a strong person. Yeah, I think building self-worth, it's, it's again, something that's thrown around a lot and it, it probably sounds quite hard to do. I think certainly coming off some of the social media, but what other ways can people, you know, build themselves up and, and, and feel less bad you know they might have come out of a relationship where they've had their heart broken and they're feeling like undeserving are are there some like I don't know going off and doing something new that you might be good at or I'm trying to think of some other things that might might just be a starting place for some people who are feeling really about themselves yeah yeah I look I think it's different for everybody there's no like one prescription but really starting simple like what are some really easy easy things that bring you joy and it's such a buzzword joy but you know it is it's that feeling of pure happiness and it can be as simple as you know playing with your pet or going for a swim in the ocean or just being around certain people that make you feel a certain way certain friends or certain family members I think also it's really important especially if you've come out of a breakup to know that it's okay to grieve and to process and it's also okay to feel joy. That doesn't take away from the grieving process and I think that sometimes we sit in it too long because we're told there's a certain amount of time you're meant to feel shit but it's actually okay to do little things to make yourself feel better even if it's just for a fleeting, you know, five seconds of joy and then you can go back to to your grieving and your processing. You know, um, I think also I talk about this concept in the book called um, love yourself despite. And it's this idea that even if we do feel like there's some low self-worth or low self-esteem or there's parts of ourselves that we don't really like, it's still okay to love yourself anyway. You don't have to wait until you've achieved something or you've lost a certain amount of weight or you know, you've hit a career highlight or you meet that perfect person in order to be able to love and accept yourself, you can do it in the meantime. And I think a lot of people forget that. So it's just loving yourself despite perhaps not feeling your best or looking your best or having achieved that goal you've set out to achieve. Yeah, no, I I think that's great. And I mean, we're all wildly flawed and weird. And (laughs) there's so many sort of secret hidden parts of ourselves that we don't show people. And and we have to remember that everyone has that. So we're not the only weird. I mean, I always say that being in love is, is, is like standing in front of someone naked and just saying, here I am in all my glorious weirdness, please love me. And and that's something you touch on as well. Uh, and especially, I guess it's relevant for people who have had their heart broken of not to be scared to have your heart broken, not to be scared to be vulnerable because unfortunately it's in all those icky places that we, we, we do find true connection. That's that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I tell quite a personal story in the book about that. It's like if you are avoiding the vulnerability and avoiding the heartbreak, and I think once you've been through heartbreak, it's really easy to avoid it. Um, but if you don't allow yourself to op- allow yourself to open up to those opportunities, then yeah, you're missing out on the gold. You're missing out on the juicy stuff. So I hope what I got across in that chapter about heartbreak is that it's worth the risk of your heart possibly breaking, although you can't actually break your heart, but you know, inverted commas breaking. Um, for the reward that you might get and then I give you some nice handy tips to get you through the heartbreak bit if you happen to if you happen to land there but the thing is if we've got a personal vibration 
that's really strong and we do open ourselves up to the vulnerability of perhaps getting our heart broken, we can actually snap ourselves back into alignment a lot faster than if we go in, like I said before, with all these gaping holes looking for someone to fill them. And if our heart gets broken at that stage, yeah, it's a little bit harder to repair yourself. You don't know what you look like whole. Yeah, no, and, and I like that you have, um, the book has a lot of exercises, you know, practical exercises that people can do as they work their way through. And, and one of them is about sort of getting closure from um, some relationships. I think you call it mm. shout out to my ex or something. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's about really digging into what happened in that relationship, what went wrong. Do you think that by doing, I mean, I guess that's to build self-awareness, but also you know, why should people do that? Because it, it's it's the yucky stuff. It's totally the yucky stuff. But I've I've worked out a universal hack and it is that if you are aware of the lessons that came up in a relationship, it's very, very rare that that lesson will come up for you to repeat again. So it's really important that we know what they are. So, they, they, yeah, there's an exercise in the book where I ask you to go back through every relationship, every crush, every first date that you feel has been carried on some level um, to the next relationship. And, yeah, sometimes it's a bad first date that you just sort of can't really let go of and really having a look like what the lessons were that came up in that and if there's closure that needs to be found for you because I think when we start to... Um, accumulate relationships, we can't help but take those mistakes, inverted commas, into the next relationships and we'll just reenact them again. And how much do we, one thing I'm interested in is, is that sort of you, you want to hold out for someone who you feel is truly worthy of you and, you know, yeah. obviously you break up um, and all your friends go, you know, you deserve way better girl. And, you know, everyone <laughs> has this sort of thing of, uh, maybe thinking that there is the one, what level is there where you think that people have unrealistic expectations and may or potentially might be pushing away love because they're scared of it or scared of commitment uh, and also wanting to find someone great? So do, how, do you, how do you reckon we can find that balance? Do you have that with any of your single friends who are... <laughs> I have that with me. I have people telling me I've got very high standards, um, I don't have high standards. My standards are like employed, <laughs> um, <laughs> ambitious. Um, no, but it's, I think it's coming back to your values. So you can have standards around your values and how you want to feel in a relationship. If you're not able to access those feelings with this person, then it's not the right relationship for you. But if they're not ticking the boxes of being a certain height with a certain job, um, you know, and a certain taste in shoes, then, yeah, perhaps you are being a little bit picky. You know, I think we really need to simplify what love is. It's been so misconstrued. Um, it gets wrapped up in drama and story and this, like, superlative language when really all it is is this pure essence of love that we're looking for and it's a feeling. And what's most important is that you're feeling it. You know, so, um, yeah, I think when we're looking at standards, we want to look at standards from a value and emotions perspective. Yeah, I do feel sorry for short men. It always comes up the height thing. But, <laughs> yeah. but then most of, I know a lot of short, rich guys, and I'm sure that they are rich because they're like, right, I'm going to show you. 
Um, just as an aside, so don't give up on them completely. No, you're right. And if they're not, if they're not super rich, they're very funny because they're like, I've got to find some wit through this height. Yeah, I know. I remember a guy actually said to me, oh, you're really funny. And then someone else said, oh, that just means you're not pretty. So I was like, oh, perfect. <laughs> I think you could be both. I think you can be both too. Uh, so in terms of sort of red flags or so not physical deal breakers, but are there some things that people should be looking out for as red flags? And, and you talk about the importance of our intuition. So mm. when you actually do get out on these dates, should you just go with your gut straight away? I don't fancy him. Or should you, is it more about how you feel when you're with them? It's a really good question. And again, I feel like it comes down to the individual because I, I definitely know, I, I mean, I have girlfriends who will spot what they call red flags when really I think they haven't just given themselves enough time. Um, but red flags, again, are compromised values. If you're sitting on a date, and you're starting to feel your personal vibration weaken and you're starting to feel parts of your values being compromised, whether that's your values, kindness or integrity or, you know, whatever And they're being be. a douchebag to the waiter or something, yeah. Yeah, and that's a huge one, hey? Like, that's a big one for me. If someone's rude to wait staff, I can't get, I just can't get past that because I can see how it translates into other areas of life. However, they may have been having a bad day. And this is where I ask people to tap into their intuition because I think deep down we can all read other people and you've, you've, you've got to give people a chance. But, yeah, if, if someone's not giving you space to answer questions or not even asking you questions about yourself, it's probably a good indication that, you know, they're not really there for you. They're just there for them. I mean, you actually give some really practical dating tips for when people do get out there. Um, one thing you touch on is profile pics if you are online dating. <laughs> yeah. uh, what are the some of the things we should uh, avoid or uh, <laughs> make sure we do to make profile pics? I've never internet dated because I've been with my husband for like 26 years. So I'm like, I'm a complete no help at all here. Um, it's a really confronting experience because, yeah, I mean, it's, at first, until you really understand them, it is quite a superficial way of meeting. I think, um, look, I think women are better at, at their profiles than men are, and that's not me being sexist. Oh, no, my, my girlfriend sent me some facts. pictures of guys, and they're just <laughs> taking pictures of themselves in a the mirror with their whole room, like, messy and laundry on the floor behind. Are you kidding me? Bad, and, yeah, they just haven't worked out the angles of selfies. But for women who are listening... Um, I think the, the best thing you can do with your own profile is make sure that the person who you're portraying is actually you. So that's using recent photos. I say the last 24 months, but the last 12 months is, is even better. Um, photos of you looking like yourself, like not made up to the nines unless you are made up to the nines every day. Um, no filters, please, no filters, no like cat ears and funny ears <laughs> and all the rest of it. Um, and, you know, try and have natural photographs. I think sometimes you'll go through a, a profile and it's just a lot of selfies, which is fine. But um, I think it's important, you know, for people to see you either in a group environment or out having fun and just, yeah, just being your authentic self. The other thing that came up when I was writing the book, which actually shocked me at first, but apparently it's what everyone wants, is they want a full body shot. And it's not 
to judge you on your body. It's just to have a really good um, idea of who's rocking up to the date. And I, I think that's okay. You know, it's like, it's they about managing expectations. Yeah. I'd much prefer to turn up and people go, whoa, she looks better than her photos than, totally. oh, what a disappointment. Yeah, what a disappointment. So, you know, you don't have to be there in your bikini or your active wear, but just giving someone an idea of, you know, height and shape and all the rest of it. And as for men, I mean, look, get, get your sister or your friend to take a photo of you. Um, please don't take a photo of yourself in the mirror at the gym. Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> and unless um, you ski all the time, I always think people are skiing photos. I mean, unless you are a regular skiing, you don't have to show off how outdoorsy you are. No, and also, like, there's so, there's so many men on dating apps that have, like, masks on of some description. So either, like, a scuba mask or a skiing mask or something and it's like we can't we can't see you what what are you doing (laughs) I loved one of the things you said was when people always have just group photos and you're not sure which is the guy that you're meeting I I rocked up to a date and I thought I was dating the other guy all his photos were of two people and I think there was one where he was in like a scuba he was snorkeling or something anyway He was actually a really nice guy, but I was expecting the other person. <laughs> so you've, you've obviously been on lots of dates. You've been through various relationships, which you, you document in the book. Yeah. How do you kind of, at the end of, you know, something else that hasn't worked out, how do you get your vibration? I mean, obviously, if you've got a strong personal vibration, you're saying it, it's there. But how do you, you know, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, start all over again? Like personally and, and you know, for, for the people listening, what, what advice would you give them? Yeah. Um, well, for me personally, I, after writing that book, which if you read it, you'll know that I had to date a lot. I had to take a big break. I actually took a year off dating after that book because I just needed to breathe. Um, and I think that we put ourselves on these timelines and we start to freak out. A lot of people have started to freak out since COVID hit because it's a lot harder to socialize and actually go out on dates. But, um, I think we just have to take a deep breath. We have to trust in the timing of our lives and really just come back to self. Because if you are radiating again at your most authentic frequency, you're doing everything you can to be the not necessarily best version of yourself, but the version of yourself that feels really good, that you love hanging out with, that's what's eventually going to attract another partner. So I think if you haven't been dating for a while and you feel like you're in a bit of a funk, definitely get back out there again. And I think the easiest way to do that is to put yourself on an app. Um, If you've just come out of a relationship and you just don't know if you've got it in you to jump back into the dating scene, take a break. It's fine. It's all right. You know, nothing's going to happen. So I think, I think, yeah, it's, it's coming back to you and also having this trust in life unfolding as it should. I think ironically, there's two things. One, you're either really proactive about it, which you talk about in the book, and obviously you have to actually do these things for them to happen. I know there was a really famous study about luck a few years ago and, you know, how you some people we think are just really lucky. They always get the opportunities. They always get that. But it tends to be the yes people. So you have to go out and do these things to make create the opportunities, et cetera. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then also on the flip side, I, I've seen it with a lot of friends of mine, it's, it's almost when they take themselves out of the equation – and they stop worrying about trying to find a guy and doing all that and take a break, the 
suddenly some great guy just comes out. So uh, it's, it's sort of a win-win. Absolutely. I've seen that happen time and time again, and it's happened to me too. So yeah, I think sometimes, and I talk about this in my first book, actually make it happen when it comes to manifestation. And it's a Buddhist teaching as well. It's this idea of non-attachment, right? So it's like, if we want something so badly and we're putting all of our energy into it, 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 it starts to become desperate energy and it changes the vibrational frequency of it. And that's when we need to lean into the faith piece, the trust piece and um, yeah, and just kind of throw it out to the universe. And that's when, yeah, that's when they'll usually come walking on in when you least expect it. I, I see it also, like people, couples I know who type desperately to have kids and suddenly, you know, once they've yeah. sort of given up, that happens. So I agree, it's sort of, it's it's about embracing action, but also letting go. And I like the idea of that there is some sort of higher being that is, is not that is, it, you know, fate that it's gonna, it was going to happen anyway, but no. something that, uh, yeah, it's between the two of us, between the universe and ourselves, yes. things are as they're meant to be. Um, do you think in terms of um, manifesting as a whole, uh, do you think we should be focusing only on one thing at a time? So if we're looking for love, that should be our, our focus at the time, or should it be, you know, our financial stability? Or, or can we kind of Bunch it all together and just, <laughs> is there a fast um, yeah. track way of doing it? I think we, I think we can bunch it all together, especially if you're um, quite versed in manifestation and you've been doing it for a while. What I find is that um, the feelings that we want to feel in love and the feelings that we want to feel in work and the feelings we want to feel around money all tend to kind of be the same. There's kind of an overlap with all of it. So if we can get ourselves into the kind of life where we're feeling that state all the time, you'll start to notice that opportunities are opening up everywhere. It doesn't matter what area of your life they're in. Um, I do explain to people when they're setting intentions to try and stick to five. I think when we have like this whole long list of things that we want, then it can dilute the experience a little bit. But in saying that, you know, if love is super important to you, if that's your intention for 2021, if you want to meet the person or a person or, you know, someone to spend some time with, um, then, yeah, by all means, focus your energy on it. But you will start to notice that the, the flow-on effect of changing your vibrational frequency is that it's going to start to affect every other area as well. So, I mean, there's a huge cross uh, crossover with manifesting and, and positive thinking isn't there which I know used yeah. to be a bit cringy but it, it's scientifically <laughs> proven that if you uh, there's a, a guy called Dr Daniel Armin I think he's a, a professor and psychologist and a brain expert and it, it actually positive thoughts do create positive reactions in the body um, so is it is it just about thinking positively or is it more than that? Uh, it's more than that um, there's, there was a study done in uh, Michigan State University that said 80% of our thoughts are untrue um, and, 85, <laughs> and, and 85% of our thoughts are just repeats of the thoughts we had the day before and the day before and the day before. So um, there's only like a really small fraction of our thoughts that we really need to be giving any weight to. Um, but what we do want to be doing constantly is not necessarily going, think positive thoughts, oh, my God, i got to think the positive thoughts. It's are my thoughts aligned with what I want to manifest 
or are they directly pulling me the other way? Which I think we'll find a lot of the time, like I want to, you know, I want to meet my dream man. And then the thoughts that run on your head is I'll never meet my dream man. Like I'm just never going to meet him. Mm. He's not out there. There's no single man, you know, everyone's taken. And, and then you're like, oh, well, yes, well, those thoughts are not going to help you, you know? So I do think, yes, positive thoughts are a really good place to start but they only gain weight, they only create a vibrational frequency when we put feelings and emotions behind them and then they only come into fruition when we take action to get closer towards them. If we're just going to sit there and think the good thoughts, nothing is really going to happen. And what about visualisation? Does you know? I read mixed things about that. Some people say yeah. it's really helpful to really visualise what you want your life to look like. Do you think that is something that adds to the mix or, or not necessarily? I think it can add to the mix, but I think that everybody's different. And there have been studies around this. Some people can't actually visualize, like it's not a, the way that their brain works. So I, I used to run these huge moon circles in Sydney and um, we would do visualization techniques throughout the event. And then there'd be like this small percentage of people that just couldn't actually see anything or resonate with the idea of a visualization. So if that doesn't feel right for you, don't do it. Um, I love it personally. Sorry, I, what is a moon circle? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. I used to run events um, every new moon. So that's the beginning of a lunar cycle when the moon is just coming out of its dark stage. Um, and the energy of a new moon is all about new beginnings and planting seeds. So it's a really good time to manifest. So that's where the manifestation equation was born was at those moon circles. So is it, yeah, you always hear about, you know, the moon's waning and therefore and Saturn's retrograde and yeah. da, da, da. All, and that's a whole world I don't know, but I'm happy yeah. to blame it on the planets and the stars when stuff doesn't sure. go right. <laughs> how, how much does that really carry weight? And, you know, do these cycles actually affect all of us on a universal basis? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that as, as someone who is completely green about this whole world. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, I've studied astrology, but the reason that I love the lunar cycle is because it does allow us to tap into one of the greatest and most visually prominent cycles in the universe. And everything in the universe works on a cycle. So we're cyclical beings. The sun is rising and setting every day. You know, we've got the seasons, we've got the calendar year, the time, you know, clock face is moving in a cycle as well. The beauty of working with cycles is that it teaches us the faith piece. It teaches us that without fail, that moon, nothing's going to stop that moon from starting as a new moon, working through its waxing phases, becoming full and then waning until it's dark again. And that has been happening for eons and eons and eons. And I think when we're in those moments where we feel flustered, where we feel like things aren't going our way, it's remembering that we also move in cycles. So when things are hard, when things are stuck, we're due for some expansion. We're due for an inhale breath. So yes, in one way, the lunar cycle is beautiful for that, for looking at cycles, but also it does, it does have energy and the planets and the moon and the sun um, have, all, have all got their own vibrational frequencies just like we do. And the way that they're moving throughout um, the zodiac, as the, the way that they're moving around the sun, is is going to affect all of us on an individual level, depending on depending on when we were born. It's it's um, well, on your it's website. You, you have what your um, 
What is your actual um, horoscope? You were saying you're a... I'm a Gemini sun with a Virgo moon and Gemini rising. Now, I just know that I'm a Leo. How do I find out that other stuff? Well, you can Google um, what's my natal chart and you put in your date of birth, um, your time of birth and your location of birth um, because that's going to determine where everything was in the sky when you were born. It's quite interesting, I think, when people look at their horoscopes and they're like, I'm not a Leo. I mean, I'm looking at you and I can tell you're a Leo. I'm a definite Leo. (laughs) You're definitely a Leo. But there's some people who just don't resonate with their sun sign. Your moon sign, so your sun sign's your personality. It's how you express yourself in the world. Your moon sign, so where the moon was when you were born, is a reflection of your inner self, your emotions, your soul, who you are on, an in, on the inside. A lot of the time, other people don't get to see our moon sign. Um, and then your rising sign is sort of like the mask you wear. It's how people see you and perceive you. So it's really interesting. Ooh, that's fascinating, yeah. Have a look at whether you resonate with those qualities a lot more than you do with your sun sign. Um, and then there's all the other planets, you know, your Mercury's, how you communicate. Your Venus is all about art and beauty and love. Um, and, you know, we could, we could keep going. Oh, I love all this. Yeah. No, yeah, I used to be fun. obsessed with horoscopes. And then, as you say, you kind of, I don't know if it's a sign of growing up, you sort of start going, oh, no, you know, and you try and sort of think about things more scientifically. But I'm sort of yes. circling back to it all now. Well, there is a lot of science based in astrology and it's a psychological thing as well. But I think, you know, if you're just reading your horoscopes in the newspaper, in the magazines, it's not a true reflection of you because it is just your sun sign. And that's why everyone goes, oh, you know, how could every Gemini in the world be experiencing the same thing? Well, they can't. Those horoscopes are bullshit. Which is why they're so vague. (laughs) When you look at your natal chart and you can see how all the different things fit together to create you, then it starts to make a lot more sense. And that's when I find people start to resonate with a little bit more. It is the ultimate guide to self-awareness when you can actually dive deep into what was happening in the sky when you were born. I was talking to a journalist um, last week who's written this book about um, all investigating all aspects of woo-woo from psychic and, mm. and, you know, tarot and everything. And she likes these celestial cards, I think they're called. Yeah. And it's a bit like how vague these horoscopes are. I think that's why people, you, you read whatever you want to read into it and you know what's going on in your own life. So you can almost just use it as a, as a tool to dig around into something like that. And I, yeah. I think maybe that's the case. Yeah, very true. Um, okay, so are you single currently in a relationship currently? Are we allowed to ask relationship status? Is it any of my business? It's very kind of you to um, ask if it's any of your business because no other journalist does that. They just ask me. Um, I, am, I am dating someone. Yes, I am currently seeing someone. Is he worried that you're going to write about him? <laughs> Did any of the others come knocking on your door or call you up and say, what? It's a very good question. Um, at the time when I was writing it, a lot of them knew that I was writing a book about dating um, and that they'd probably end up in it. Uh, the only I only confirmed with one of them after it was written that he was in there and he was fine with it. Um, but the other ones, no. Uh, look, I, I masked who they were pretty well. It's pretty, it's pretty hard to work out who they are. Um, the current lovely human that I'm dating, he... Um, knows that he won't turn into a book because I'm never writing about dating ever again. What are you going to write about um, next? It's a very good question. I've got a few things I'm playing around with at the moment. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I put my hand up for money. I think, yeah, money, money would be a good one. Money. Okay. Yeah. I've had a few people ask about that. I don't know if I'm the gal to be But not so much money, like... <laughs> 
wealth and wealth is not yeah. about money as we know it's about no, a richness not. of life so I think that there could be something there absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I've really enjoyed talking to you Jordana um there's lots there and you guys should go out and grab either make it happen if you if you want a book that's more focused on manifestation and higher love which is the new book which is got loads of juicy good stories um and lots of practical advice and if you are looking to bring more love into your life I would highly recommend it so thank you so much I hope you'll come back on the show when you do your next book I would love to thank you for having me that was really fun oh good all right guys (laughs) thanks for listening over and out that's all the time we have this podcast is brought to you by the fine people well me at thinrichhappy.com if you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more be sure to subscribe or if you really enjoyed this episode please leave a review which will help other people find the podcast For extra podcast goodies, you can visit BeLessCrap.com.